0: This is just one of the many sweet things about a local church. You can't get this over a screen. Oh, I am so thankful to God. Before we jump um, back into another part of our worship of God, I want to pray again. We are so needy. God, I come before you now. the glorious, eternal God. We are so needy. And you are so good. God, I I pray that you will please let your word be alive and active. Fill me with your spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll be working this morning. Convicting, encouraging, teaching, challenging, doing what only you can do. Oh my goodness, God, I need you. I thank you for everything. What I pray for the churches in the areas where the hurricane has hit. I pray you encourage them and provide for them in a special way. This hurricane has come under your watch, flying gracious hand for a reason, and I I pray that people will come to know you. God, we are needy. I need you. I pray these things in your name, your gracious name. Amen. As you talk to people, or at least as I've been talking to people recently, generally, everyone's kind of worried and scared about the future for like a million different reasons. We could stand here and go back and forth on why that might be the case. But people are very worried, nervous, scared. What's the next year going to look like? the next five, the next ten. There's kind of an uneasiness. Have you felt it in your own heart or where you work or in your family or just friends and around? There's, there's kind of an uneasiness. I'm thinking probably if you are someone with kids, you're probably all very uneasy. Like what's this going to look like when they're my age? New Life Church. It is a worrying, uneasy time But it's a time to stand out. Maybe more than we've had opportunities in the past in this country. Like we have an opportunity to be a strong, unmovable tree in a forest full of swaying, uprooted trees. We can help people see God is good. And think about it. If there's a lot of uneasiness, a lot of worry, what would help people see there's something different about you? That what, what could help people see God is good? In the midst of uneasiness and worry, I think it's a confident trust in God. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where people are panicking and there's one person that's calm and collected. It is like a... It's like a breath of fresh air. We can be that way in the midst of all this uneasiness and fear and worry. We can help people see how good God is. And today in the psalm that we're going to be looking at, we're going to see how this is possible. How do we help people see how good God is? We confidently cling to God even in distress how do we stand out confidently cling to God even in distress we're going to be in Psalm chapter 4 I would encourage you if you have a Bible or someone has one next to you I would encourage you to open it it will be up there on the screen this is Psalm chapter 4 verse 1 Answer me when I call, God who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Offer sacrifices and righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Oh, how beautiful a psalm. I love this one. So, real quick, David is writing this, as you can probably tell, in the midst of distress. It's kind of all throughout, sprinkled throughout these eight verses. Now, oftentimes Psalm 4 is connected to Psalm 3. And if you have your Bible, you can look over. David wrote Psalm 3 when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. So, David was in distress because his own son was coming after him. Let alone the, like his life is threatened, his kingdom is threatened. Like, just push that aside for a moment. His own son is coming against him. Talk about distress. This is where David is, is writing here, connected to Psalm 3. He is fleeing from his own son. And look how he starts out. Answer me when I call. Something that is so evident, like all throughout these first, or the whole eight verses, is that David trusts God. Like he's confidently clinging, like trusting, holding on to God in distress. We see it here, and just the first part, answer me when I call. If David did not trust God, he wouldn't be asking God to answer his prayers. Like, if you don't trust someone, you're not going to ask them, usually. But David trusts God. He's asking, answer me when I call. And if you notice something else in these eight verses, David is always turning his eyes upward to heaven. He's always turning his eyes to who God is. And just as a real quick aside, you got to do this. One of the sweetest things in my prayer life has been when not only do I pour out my heart to God, but I take a step back and I turn my eyes to heaven and I reflect on who God is, what He's done, and what He's promised. I I will go to God. God, you got to help me. And then I turn my eyes to heaven. You've promised to help me. You've helped me before. Your Holy Spirit indwells in me. You are with me. Like David is always turning his eyes to heaven. And you gotta do this. Like pour out your hearts and then go to, what does God say? Who is he? That's what David is doing all throughout this psalm. Look what he says about God. Just in this first verse, he says a lot. He says, uh, God is the one who vindicates. God is the one who frees. God is gracious. God hears us. Like in one verse, he's turning his eyes up to heaven over and over and over again. So I just want to unpack these eight verses and look at David's trust. How he clung to God even in distress. So look at this first part. God who vindicates me. So this word vindication means when a wrong is made right. The wrong, the evil, the injustice is punished and those who were right or had the injustice uh, put against them, they are made right. They are lifted up. They are exalted. They are rewarded. Now think about David. His entire life, he was facing injustice wrong, slander, lies, attacks. So he is saying, God who vindicates me. This is good news. Because this might be one of the reasons we struggle to trust God. You see evil and injustice personally or around you you want to see it ended, and you want to see it made right, but you don't. And you take a step back. Where's God? Why isn't He showing up and helping me here? This person I love. Why isn't God showing up and helping them here? You look around, and you see all sorts of evil and justice. Why isn't God showing up and making things right? God who vindicates me. Or sometimes it says the God of righteousness. Like, take a step back. God is righteous, absolutely right and true. He's never changing, He's never fickle, He's never wrong. He knows the truth, He knows what is right. He sees what has been done against you and he will deal with it. He will set the record straight. He will punish the wrong. He will exalt his children who he has made righteous in his own time. I think about Christians around the world who are losing everything for their faith. This verse is sometimes probably the only thing they can cling to. Lord, this injustice, it's not going to be made right until I stare you in the face one day. Think about the Christians around the world who lose their homes, their families, their jobs, their own lives. Think about them like David saying, crying out, God who vindicates me, God who punishes evil and injustice. Like what about you? Have you ever suffered taunting, slander, gossip or loss of relationship because you stood up for what God says? Maybe from a spouse, a family member, a child or your your own child? He will vindicate you. He will reward you. Your righteousness will not go unnoticed. The wrong will be made right. Have you ever suffered abuse, hurt, hurt? Or deep wounds unjustly? Take heart. The God we worship is a God who vindicates his children. Evil does not go unnoticed. He will punish evil, He will make things right. Listen. It might feel like in your moment of crisis God has turned a blind eye. He doesn't care. He's looked away. But it's not true. He will vindicate you. And real quick, before we move on from this, I think it's probably worth giving a warning. Because I could see some people saying, that's right. People are slandering me. People are coming against me and God will make things right. I could see some ungodly people saying that against people who are trying to call them to righteousness. God vindicating means he will deal with the ungodly and the guilty. So New Life Church, you better make sure you're on the right side or this should be a terrifying verse for you. Your evil, your injustice, your abuse, your sin will not go unnoticed it will be dealt with. He is a God of justice and I am so thankful because you look everywhere. Tell me what nation is not corrupt and unjust. There is none. We, Christian, are waiting for a day when the one who is just will make all things right again. Personally, he will do that. David, in the light of injustice and evil, against his own, like his own son was doing this against him, he trusted God is going to make things right. The God who vindicates me. God is true. Look at the next verse. Or not the next verse, the next part. You freed me from affliction or distress. Think about our normal response when there's affliction or distress. The normal response is panic and we usually have to learn how to control that. How do we know that? As kids, like, if you, were, if you turn the lights out on kids and not expecting it, they just panic. They're in complete distress. Even when they know the lights are going to be turned off for some reason, they're still panicking in distress. That's just our natural response. And when we're in distress, like it might be someone coming against you it might be someone leaving you. It might be deep wounds. I mean, you could go down the list. We might cling to the wrong things to find freedom and help from our distress. Like grasping at straws. Anything to help us. Or we might try to ignore it. Or we might take this, this distress and we lash out. We vent because we don't know what else to do with what we're feeling. And David here is saying, you have freed me from distress. And friend, God can do that. He could remove what is causing distress. He can rescue you. He can give you peace. But we know for a fact that one day, when we stand before Jesus, we will be able to say, free, free, I am free. David trusted. God vindicates. He punishes evil. He's not turning a blind eye. And he's also trusting God can free me from my distress. And then look there in the last line of of verse 1. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So, David is, is trusting. He's, he's turning his eyes to heaven. He's saying, God who vindicates, God who frees, God who is gracious, the God who hears my prayer. Like, you might struggle with trust. Like, you get panicky, you feel distressed, because you forget. God is gracious, and He hears you. I love, this is, one pastor uh, wrote, there is more mercy in Christ than sin in you. There is more mercy in him than sin in you. He is gracious. And by the way, if you ever just sit there and you just never know what to pray, this is a good prayer. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So New Life Church, do you trust God to answer you, to deal with evil, to free you from affliction, to be gracious and to hear your prayers? like if you do this, if you trust God in this, will you not stand out from everyone else worrying, panicking, in distress? You will stand out, friend. Now look in verses 2 to 3. David addresses his enemies. He says, How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Now remember, he's suffering injustice from the hands of his own son. Have any of you, like, ever suffered evil and deep wounds from your own child? Like, what that does to your soul? And when I read this, like, I, I, I feel like David's, like, he's mourning. Like, how long... How long will you insult me? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? When you're slandered or you see someone committing evil, what's your gut reaction? It should be to mourn. Like, yes, there's a righteous anger, but you should mourn. Like, how long are you going to turn from God? How long? How long? You should mourn the evil and the sin. So if you're not careful, that righteous anger, like it's, it's easy to come in like, how long are you going to do this, huh? Do you know what that's going to turn into real quick? Bitterness. And that's going to kill your soul. You've got to mourn evil and injustice. Don't become hardened and don't also just ignore it. Like it's easy. Like there's so much evil and everything going wrong. It's easy just to like your heart to go hard and you don't even care anymore. Mourn. Mourn. Like David here. Now look what he's saying. How, How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? That is a description of those who reject God. They love what's worthless and they pursue a lie even if they don't realize it. The worthless is what won't matter when you stand before Jesus. And the root of that lie is that you're living like there isn't a creator who will hold you accountable for you loving what has been created rather than the creator. What's the lie that those who reject God believe and live? It's that there isn't a God who will hold you accountable for you loving what has been created rather than the creator. I don't know everyone's situation here. But those of you who, who, who do not believe in Jesus and maybe those who say, I do believe in Jesus or say they do, that freedom to do as you please isn't worth it. When you stand before Jesus, it's all going to fall like sand through your fingers. It's not worth it. That freedom to, to do what you want to do and, and, and kind of skip over passages, it's not worth it believe it or not, you are living a lie and you're pursuing what won't matter. That's what it looks like to reject what God has said. Pursuing what's worthless and living a lie. Now, it's real easy to go, yeah, I know someone that could like really hear this one right now. I'm going to get the link to send it to him. We all go through this, though. When you know what God wants you to do and you choose not to, what are you doing in that moment? You're pursuing what's worthless and you're living a lie that God won't hold you accountable for rejecting him. We all do it. We all do it. But see how David contrasts those who are pursuing a lie and pursuing what's worthless with those who know God. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. I love David's faith. Like when, he's, he's talking to his enemies right now. And he's saying, the Lord set apart The faithful for himself, he's going to hear me when I call. I think of um, like the cliche in a lot of movies where like the sidekick is captured and he's like tied up and he's like, you know, Batman's going to come save me. Like he's just like oddly confident about that. It's like, I don't know man, you're like hanging above sharks right now. I don't really know if that's going to happen. And then Batman swoops in and saves him, right? Like this, this confident trust that doesn't make sense. That's David right now, right? In the face of his enemies, of his own son coming against him. What's he saying? The Lord sets apart the faithful. He hears me when I call. Notice how David's trust is not based on himself. It's based on God who sets apart the faithful. And that, this, like, this just, this little part that David's writing explains what God has been doing throughout all of history. Throughout all of history, God is calling and choosing and setting apart people to live for Him. I mean, that's what it means to be saved. That's what God did through the Israelites. That's what God is doing now in the church. He's calling people, choosing them, setting them apart to be faithful for Himself. Like John 6.44 kind of points to this. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6, 44. God is the one who sets apart, who calls, who saves, and he does it so we'll be faithful for him. Which, real quick, by the way, means your life is not your own. Which is why it's pursuing what's worthless and living a lie when you say, I don't want to do what you say here. I'm going to do what I want to do. We have been saved, called, chosen, set apart to be faithful. I I, I just, I love David's confidence here. And I know sometimes I can find myself panicking when it feels like God doesn't hear me when I'm calling to him. Right? Like I'm sitting in my room, like trying to pray, and it feels like God is nowhere to be found. It's easy to kind of panic and feel distressed. Like, God, where are you? Did I do something wrong? Like, what's wrong? But I love David's confidence. Like, he will hear me. Whether you feel like God is close or not, he will hear you if you know Jesus. He is near to those who call on him. He is hears those who have been set apart to be faithful. And by the way, real quick, this is just a total little rabbit hole. The Bible talks about how there are times where God will choose not to hear his children when they are in unrepentant sin. So for example, in one of the Peters, he says for husbands who are harsh towards their wives, God will choose to not hear them. God has set us apart to be faithful. And he takes that faithfulness seriously. And him choosing not to hear, not to draw close, is God's mercy and grace because he's, he's trying to, to prick and prod. Bring us to a place where we're like, wait, what's wrong? Why don't I feel close to God? To inspect our hearts and realize, oh my goodness, I'm not following this. It's like, take the setting apart to be faithful for himself Seriously. But no, God is gracious. And when you call out to him, God, I can't believe I've been living this way. I've been pursuing what's worthless. I've been living a lie. Forgive me. God hears those who call on him. I am so thankful for that. Now look at David's instructions in verse 4 through verse 5. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. So three three instructions and let's go through them. These are good. Like if you do these three things, you will stand out. Look at this, be angry and do not sin. It's easy when you see evil and injustice or even when you feel stress you feel anxious for anger to rise up in your heart and you want to lash out maybe just for a moment of some kind of peace you think be angry and do not sin that's hard to do and if you're not calling out to God if you're not sitting on your bed reflecting being still and working through that That anger is going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. Be angry but be very careful. Do not sin. And that's hard when someone has really wounded you. Some of you have been really wounded here. It might take time. It might take professional help. It might take... With many, many prayers and point out your heart to God. But you have to be careful. Be angry and do not sin. Because your heart will grow cold. It will grow hard like a stone. And it'll kill you. It'll kill your soul. It'll kill your heart for God. It'll kill your heart for people. It will poison you. And we all know that feeling, Right? When we're angry, maybe maybe we're, there is a righteous anger. Maybe we, we are angry for good reasons. And it starts to kind of take over. I think of, I might have talked about this before, but I hate the courtyard we have here um, because it seems like weeds grow up like every single day. Um, I hate it. <laughs> but if we're not careful, that's going to be the anger. That's going to be the unresolved worries and anxieties and stresses. It's going to build up and it's going to kill you. It's going to keep growing back over and over and over again. You have to be very careful, friend. Be angry. Don't sin. And also, I think it it is comforting that he's saying, be angry. Like, if someone wounds you, you see evil and injustice, we shouldn't just be like, oh, that stinks. Like, we should be angry. But you've got to be careful. Be angry and do not sin. Ask God to expose that sinful anger. Be on your bed and reflect in your heart and be still. Like, we've gotten really good at making it easy to avoid all reflection and all stillness. We've gotten really good at making it so we don't have to reflect. I find this in my own heart. Feeling anxious? What do I got to do? Just got to go on my phone. We've gotten so good at not needing to do this or not feeling like we should or or escaping this need to reflect in our heart and be still on our bed. But you gotta do it because if you're not, it's gonna build up and before you know it, you're overwhelmed, you feel miles away from God and your heart's gonna be cold like a stone. Friend, maybe reflecting won't happen like at night before you go to bed because I know normally I just, I fall asleep. I'll reflect for about five seconds and I'll be done. But we gotta be building in times where we can be still. Reflect. What's weighing on me? What's making me anxious? What is God doing? What's he teaching me? What is there to be joyful about? You gotta do it. You gotta be still and reflect because if not, it's gonna overtake you. Stop drowning out the Holy Spirit. It's so easy to. And look in verse 5. I love this. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Like seek forgiveness. Now, it's really easy to lose and and forget the significance of this. Who's writing this? Specifically verse 5. David. There's some back and forth on this. But essentially, David raped Bathsheba. He had her husband killed unjustly. His baby died because of his sin. Like, we want to talk about evil and justice? David. But look at what he's writing here. Offer sacrifices and righteousness and trust in the Lord. Seek Forgiveness. This is good news. For many different reasons. Like let's just unpack it for a minute. Some might say that's not fair. That someone like David could be saved after committing that kind of evil and injustice. But friend, you're no more deserving of heaven than him, than the person next to you. David shouldn't get forgiveness and salvation, neither should you. You're not holier than thou. This is good news, that forgiveness is offered to the worst of sinners. Now, God will deal with injustice. He will, he will deal with it. He will make wrongs right, but I am thankful that he offers forgiveness to the worst kind of sinner. Because that means I've got hope. I've got hope. I am so thankful. And this shows us a couple things. Listen, if you're here, maybe you have, you have caused great injustice and evil. I don't know your story. Maybe you abandoned people that loved you. Maybe you abused people. Maybe you wounded, hurt, committed evil and injustice. You can be forgiven. You're not too evil for Jesus to save you. But if we're honest with ourselves, we've all done evil against people we love. We've all done it. Like, we are all in need of God's forgiveness. We've all done it. We're all guilty. So, you can't say, This person I know, they need it, but I haven't done what they've done. I don't need it. You do. Your soul is more sinful than you could ever realize. You need forgiveness. And the greatest news of all time is that the greatest sacrifice has been offered. Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.15 This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Here's, here's the saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus Christ the perfect son of God did nothing wrong added humanity to his deity came here suffered on the cross took on your sins died the death you deserve rose again so that you can be saved because a sacrifice has been made in your place this is the best news for the worst of sinners and that includes you and that includes me You're not too good for Jesus. And you're not too bad for Jesus. We all need Him. And it is so cool, by the way, in that verse, Paul writes, after saying Jesus came to save sinners, he says, and I am the worst of them. He killed Christians. You want to talk about evil and injustice? That's Paul. But God saved him. There is hope for all who come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and salvation. So, look in verse 6. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? Isn't that what we're kind of asking? Like, here in this country, and maybe around the world? Is there anything good? Can anyone show us anything good? Everyone wants goodness, but everyone's looking for it in the wrong place. Relationship. A career. A family. We want goodness. Uh, Maybe it's political party. We all want goodness, but we're all looking for it in the wrong place. It's found in God and God alone. That's why David says, let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. God's goodness, it's who he is. He's in the business of goodness. It's, it's God. see in Nahum 1.7, not a book you usually go to, it says, the Lord is good. A stronghold in a day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. Only God is good. So when people ask, is there anything good? Yes, God. Look in verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. Oh, there is a better joy found in Jesus. Why? Because it's a joy that we were made for. To know God and live for Him. The joys that other people look after, they were never made to fully satisfy. The goodness that people try to find in the other things, it's only going to temporarily satisfy because they weren't made to fully satisfy us. That relationship, that spouse, that family, whatever it is, it wasn't made to fully satisfy you. It will never satisfy give you full, complete joy because it wasn't made to do that. David's saying, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. It's a better joy. And by the way, how else do we know that it's a better joy? Because the greatest joys here are just a taste of what's to come if you know Jesus. Jesus. Like the joy here. Seeing a family commit to raise their child to know Jesus. That's a joy. Getting a chance to do communion in a couple of minutes. That's a joy. Getting to sing praises of the glorious God who is the way maker and promise keeper. That's a joy. Seeing people come to know Christ and know and love Jesus. That's a joy. Even smaller joys. Like Friday, I had four cheese mac and cheese. Ribs that fell off the bone. That's a small joy, but it is a good joy. Times with friends, times with family seeing creation and the different things that God has given us uh, seeing the, the seasons change I mean there is joy abounding here. The joy found in Jesus is found is different than any other kind of joy and it's just a taste of what's to come. Those who seek goodness and joy only on what's here on earth, that's all they got. What they have here on earth that's all they got. This this is it David is saying, I have more joy than those whose wine and grain abound. Unless we look at verse 8. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. David was not ignorant nor naive. Like, he wasn't saying, God's always going to keep me safe. Like, he's he's always going to keep me from danger and from harm. He wasn't saying that. I mean... David, when he was a kid, fought a lion and a bear. My goodness. He fought thousands of enemies. His own son is coming against him. Like, David knew, no, there's, there's threats. There's danger. But he knew this. Safety came from God alone. Your safety. The breath in your lungs. You being able to wake up this morning. You getting here safely. You getting home safely. That comes from God alone. And that's the irony of those who love what's worthless and pursue a lie, they are rejecting the very one who's giving them safety. They don't realize it. David knew this God gives safety, safety comes from God alone. But David also knew that when physical safety was not given, it happened under the watchful eye and gracious hand of God. And there is a comfort with this once you wrestle with it. Like, God doesn't have his foot on, like, the pedal of safety and then, like, let it go for a second and look away and then look back and then everything's gone wrong. It's not how it works. Safety or not safety, everything happens under God's watchful eye and gracious hand. There's a comfort knowing if God keeps me physically safe and physically healthy, it is from him alone. But if that is not given, it comes from Him alone, and it is good. It comes from God alone. I think of um, Jurassic Park, the first one, the best one. The others are garbage. Um, <laughs> it, it, the, the first one's kind of all about the illusion of control, right? They think they can control nature. They think they can control dinosaurs. And it all goes wrong. That's all kind of highlighting the illusion of control we think we have. We're all under an illusion of control and safety. We think we can keep ourselves safe. We think we can keep our bank accounts good. We think we can keep ourselves safe. It comes from God alone. Whether you know Jesus or not. It comes from God alone. And there's a comfort knowing when it's given and when it's taken away, it comes from God. He is good. Everything could go wrong for you. Like your, your retirement accounts could just be a complete washout. You could lose your job. You could lose your family. You could get in a car accident on the way home. We have to come to this conclusion that that David comes to. Lord, safety comes from you alone. No matter what happens, as things get harder and scarier, I think of the Christian in Afghanistan. Like when everything was going on, I guess it was a year ago, the pastors who knew they were coming for them in their homes, they would have had to just cling to this. God, my safety comes from you alone. Like you are good when you give and when you take away. That kind of trust will help you stand out. Let what comes, come. God alone gives safety. He is good. And that's hard to cling to. But it is sweet when we realize this. There we have David's sweet prayer. Like he clung to God even in the face of great distress. and My prayer is that this will be you. I think of Jeremiah 17 7 to 8. The person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. Listen to this. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. My prayer is that this will be you, a tree firmly planted, not fearing, not worrying when everything is going on wrong around you. And you might be like, I don't how do I do that? You know, a great first step is to pray what David did in verse 1. Answer me when I call. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Start there. Let yourself be still. Be quiet. Talk to him. Ask him. You can stand out. New Life Church, we can stand out in the middle of uneasiness and worry. I'm going to pray, and then we will partake in communion. Dear Lord, you know what's going on in people's hearts. You know the distress they're facing or what they the distress they will face 5, 10, 20 years from now help us to be like a deeply rooted tree in the midst of a, a forest of swaying and uprooted trees let us be different God let us trust you like David Lord I pray for those that don't know Jesus here Maybe they know they don't know you. I pray you'll convict them of their sin. Show them that they need you. You're their only hope. I pray that if there's anyone here, God, in here that thinks they're saved and they're not, you will bring them to a place where they will trust in the ultimate sacrifice. Lord, I thank you. Keep us from pursuing a lie and living for what's worthless. Let us stand out. Jesus, I, I thank you in your name. Amen.